Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. As people know who listen to the show, I care about two things more than anything else, sports and politics. So I was trying to figure out, also my wife. Sorry, I should have probably put that in there. Uh, sorry. I was, also my wife. Uh, that's not the so best. Great. Good give, thing is she's not a listener. She listen. yeah, give your kids something to work towards. Exactly. All right, kids, try to break the top three. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. I love Salusa. I do. I, I, I love Salusa. Um, You need to tell the story of the bear and the soda that you told me yesterday. <laughs> you tell the story. So I was reading a story. There's a woman in British Columbia who left a bunch of food supplies in her car, including several cases of soda. She woke at 3 a.m. in the morning to see the bear had broken into the car and was rifling through it and drank I think 69 cans of soda. soda. And it was like A&W root beer, some orange drink, everything except for three cans, which were diet. And the bear was like, no. No. You can smell it. (laughs) Don't need the diet. I'm fine. Yeah. 69 cans of soda for the bear. Didn't eat anything else. not worried about the waistline. (laughs) Didn't eat the meat. Uh, I did, yeah, I don't think you bread. Eat, yeah, no, just went it, right for the soda. <laughs> really just it's a lesson to you people in Canada. <laughs> well, with all those bubbles, leave yeah, a cola. You know, just a lesson. My thanks to Jolene Wojcik, who uh, sent a very nice note and sent some master stuff. Right, it's amazing. So Jolene has the she has the same group she sits with behind eighteen every year, and I feel like we've been pulled into that fold because yeah. she sends she thinks of us and sends it's very just lovely. really meaningful gifts. So it's thank very, you. Very nice. Very happy about that. Um, Light in the morning. I wrote down this note. I mean, if you expect me to talk about the hockey or the (laughs) basketball last night, stop. You know, I'm I'm not doing that. Um, But light in the morning. It's today is the 21st. 21st April 21st. March 21st is the spring solstice. And March 21st is that day where everything is supposed to work out, except that because of daylight savings time, it wasn't light in the morning. Now, it wasn't light in the morning till 7 o'clock. Now it's light before 6. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a runaway train now. You asked for it. Yeah, I do. I <laughs> asked for it, and I'm happy. And you know why? Because the light gets... I get up earlier. I get into the day earlier. I go to sleep earlier. You know, I'm... I'm like a barn animal, you know? So this is, this is with the boys when they eat dinner. We eat dinner earlier. We try and go for a little bit of a walk after it, but it just feels a lot cleaner when you, when you are on this schedule. I love it. Um, I went walking in the pool yesterday for the first time in over two weeks. How'd that go? Because I've been badly. My left leg is killing me now. Oh, really? Oh, my leg. Yes, my left leg on the outside of my calf and the outside of my hip I mean, I'm walking in the pool. I don't think I'm walking awkwardly. I don't think I'm landing badly. But it hurts. I mean, I put on that Salon Pass stuff. Helps a little, maybe. But it hurts. Every time I move, it hurts. And I do this all the time. I ask for help from doctors out there. Even vets. I don't really care. Why is my left leg hurt on the outside of my calf? Are you changing anything about your walking pattern? No, it's the exact same walking pattern in the pool, but I... Could this be hurts. the kicking that you do? I did 550 kicks yesterday. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I don't, why That's a lot it, of kicks. Why my left legs? That's a lot of kicks. Yeah, but I don't, I don't do it straight through. I stop. I do 50s, then 75. Well, is the left, is the left side, your, is it the inside leg? Are you worried about the wall or anything? I worry about the wall on the left, but then I worry about the lane divide on the right. So, you know, I'm just... I'm moving in small, stupid circles. I don't actually propel myself anywhere. Do you want to talk about the game you went to the Nats? Sure. We, uh, Nats our, O's. We went to Once the Beltway again, Series. Once again, Nats 
Zero runs. A lot of uh, run support. Uh, yes. Dominic Smith stinks. He stinks. <laughs> he has four RBI. He's played in every single game. At some point, don't you sit this guy down and say, look, you, I'm sorry. I was sorry. sitting next to his personal cheering section, and all I, I just wanted to turn left and go, did you see the, see the game last night? You see that strikeout? Uh, so there's something about going to a baseball game in the late spring. There's something about taking your boys. I did not have this when I was a kid. It's, it's very poignant that this was against the O's. We had to drive up to Baltimore. Oh, okay. And, and I thought when you said you didn't have this, you didn't have a father who would take you to games. No, my father took me to games where he was working. And he would, <laughs> let, me, a game. He would let me share half of his orange soda that he got from the press box. You're lucky I if didn't give it to a bear. <laughs> if he remembered to come back to the seats. <laughs> Just waiting for you to arrive. Uh, this was one of those perfect late spring evenings in D.C. We got there early. Uh, we had a tremendous parking spot right next to the stairs that would bring you right down. The one thing we did not check was when the gates actually open. So we were standing in front of Centerfield Gate for about 15, 20 minutes right. with all three boys. But it was awesome. We had, a, we had a nice dinner. The kids were very excited because they got to experience ice cream in a souvenir baseball oh, helmet. Nothing, oh, and nothing so, of better. course, the entire ride home is, my tummy hurts. Like, yeah, you just... Rifles are smoke cream, yeah. Uh, yeah the, it, They're it, in the collection phase now, aren't they? They collect everything, animals, helmets, and it's, everything. it's tough because we live in this great city that does, uh, you know, all these museums, uh, oh, you have yeah. the zoo, but every time you go to the zoo, it's, you know, it's their mind is thinking forward to, can I get a stuffed animal? Can I get something? What can I get? And they're looking around everywhere. So, so the validation for their trip is always... A souvenir not every trip but you know you try and think ahead and you try give and come up with some rewards give a dollar. Hey, why don't you give them a dollar I, I wish i could get out of there for just a dollar so the day before <laughs> we went it's spring break this is why we're taking all these trips we went to the baltimore aquarium right. uh and it was you know they get That's to great. see these amazing creatures in front of them for them straight out of storybooks and they're just thinking about can i get a macaw from the gift shop well you know if, if they know what a macaw is you know that i think that's pretty good at their age to know the difference between a macaw and a chair. This was uh, this was like this was the captain's first game. We got him his certificate. Yeah, what to explain to the people what that is? I was I was unaware. So this, of this. is a thing at every I think every baseball game. But if you go to guest services and introduce yourself and, and your child for your first visit, they'll give you a little certificate. This also included a button uh, for read uh, the captain's first baseball game. That's... Wait a second. So Bootsy and the Hammer got this, but you said they've thrown away the certificates. No, there's it's in one of those bins that we probably have in the attic that mom and dad will go through in 25 years when okay. the kids finally move out. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, but this I was explaining this before the show. We have, you know, a series of first game picks of all the kids in their various Nats outfits, and I mean the sad thing is you can sort of see players in the field and and sort of date where we are with the with the pre and post rebuild. But uh, right, yeah. Great evening for it. Yeah, I just my feeling about Dominic Smith is that I think at some point he was like the overall number one draft pick, and a couple of teams have given up on him. If you could look this up, I'm probably wrong about this, but I I got the sense when they got him when I read the stories about them getting Dominic Smith that he was a very very high draft pick and considered a not necessarily a can't miss prospect, but a really great prospect. And he he hasn't worked out. I, I think he's played in every game. Have the Nats played twenty games? Yeah. He's got four RBI. Right right around that number. Four RBI. So that's an eighth of a season. He's gonna he's a big hitter. He's gonna get thirty-five RBIs. Oh, you can't have that. He has no homers and four RBIs. I believe all of his hits are singles. The the team has no home runs. What a, there's there's what, no there's no He threat. can't play. Does it say anything about him? He was uh the eleventh overall pick of the two thousand thirteenth draft. Okay. 
And and how many teams has he played with since? I mean, he can't play. I, you know, Mets. I understand that they got Josh Bell, they got rid of Josh They make the choices they make. And invariably, not invariably, but most often these are bad choices. Double play specialist. But Dominic Smith isn't any good. He's not hitting. It appears that he has played just for the Mets and for the Nats. Okay, well, he's not very good. And by not very good, I mean he's on pace for 32 RBI. <laughs> that's... That's Victor Robles land, kids. No, that's not very good. This was our fir- this was our first time in stadium with the with the pitch clock. Made no, you know, real noticeable difference for us. It just felt it felt like it was at a, at a cleaner pace. But it was the first time where my boy was old enough where he could point out, you know, that he's very into numbers right now. I mean, he's your grandson, but to point yeah. out, uh, you know, balls and strikes and outs and try and explain. Lovely. Uh, the, the he can way, watch the things change. Yeah, and, and when he saw like runners getting over to second or third, trying to explain how that you know relates to potential scoring opportunities, it was really fun. All right, so uh, I have to do a little scheduling here. Talk about scheduling. The next few weeks, uh, I'm not going to do Fridays. I have opportunities to do things on Fridays that I'm going to avail myself of in the spring and early summer. So we will either do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, there's something like that. But we're not going to be doing Fridays for. A few weeks, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. Anyway, I don't know that anybody cares. Uh, I mean, it's on well, demand, right? They get it. They pick it up when they want. Yeah. Like Tom Jones. Sales Not that Tam Jones. He waits two weeks. <laughs> you know, and then he sends me a note. <laughs> he sends me a note. Boy, Greg Garcia is funny. Notes. And it was like six <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, maybe we he was working about, up yeah. the courage to text you. Yeah. <laughs> Just, so, anyway. By the way, you mentioned you were at the, the aquarium. I saw the most fascinating thing uh, yesterday about octopuses. Where if an octopus's garden in the ring. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Ringo. That if another creature gets close to it, it will punch it. You see this? Well, it's big, got eight hands. Yeah, but it's it's it like senses it coming. You hook. don't even right. know which one is coming at right. you because it's got eight <laughs> hands. <laughs> Razzle dazzle. Yeah. And then if it doesn't do that, it will pick stuff up from the seafloor and throw it at you. And the person who was doing this video said, the only other creature that we've seen do this sort of thing are monkeys or chimps or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they throw yeah. stuff. Yeah. They throw their own poop. But it was fat. <laughs> they do throw their own At poop. the zoo. Yes. Yeah. Reginald, yes. Yeah. Johnny Walker Blue. But it was All amazing. Right. All right. We will, uh, Tim Kirchin, when we return. There's yes. a bunch of baseball Scherzer. things, including the warrior god getting sat down for 10, ten games. 10 games. Now, it, you can appeal. We got to Well, he's not appealing, I think. He's not appealing. He's just going to take it's his money. Take it's it. the, so it's the same. All the three times that this has happened, it's been the same ump. I think Kuzi. Yeah, C U Z Z I. He's the only. He's the designated throw somebody outer. <laughs> he's that guy. All right, I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is our friend Misha Ben-David, a rabbi in Austin, Texas. Who writes, where have I been, you ask? Building an independent Jewish renewal congregation, recovering from a stroke, writing new material and trying to find equally ancient musicians to fill a decent rock band with. Sound easy? Think again, Sparky. The Central Texas Ann Wilsons and Jason Bonhams are few and far between. Currently, we are semi-complete, seeking a female singer and a drummer, and we'll be set. 
Do feel free to keep a carefully notated list of potential band members from the TK Show audience with photos and CVs for each candidate. I knew I could count on you. This is called Falling Off the Edge of the World. It's a song of the rabbis that recounts his experience as a recovering addict. I perform everything except the lead vocals, which is courtesy of Jackie Carton, who is currently a resident of the D.C. metropolis and the employee of the State Department. Jackie was a UT student when we performed together some years ago. It's a fabulous life, and it's a wonderful song. It's called Falling Off the Edge of the World. Plays in Tim Kirchin. There are so many things. There's Madison Bumgarner. There's A's going to Vegas. There's Tatis being back. And there's the warrior god getting bounced for 10 games. I'm just going to, I'm just, I'll just start with the way I wrote them down. Madison Bumgarner released, Tim, I know he hasn't been good in, in Arizona. He had the greatest World Series I've ever seen for a pitcher, right? He had the greatest. Yeah, he did, and he's one of the great postseason pitchers of all time because he didn't just do it in one World Series. He did it in three World Series. (laughs) So you look at those career World Series postseason numbers, they're staggering. But he has been really bad since he went to the Diamondbacks. I think it's like 360 innings and an ERA well over five. That's unacceptable. And they designated him for assignment. So now a team can come along and pick him up for the minimum salary. Maybe the Rangers come along because they have Bruce Bochy, who was his manager all those years in San Francisco. And they always can use another starting pitcher, and maybe he can revive his career. He also may decide he doesn't want to pitch anymore, and he's going to get paid for the, the $34 million no matter what. Because he's a, he loves to work on his ranch. He's a cowboy in his own way. Uh, he loves that. And by the way, he, his wife was a college catcher in softball. And once he had to throw a bullpen uh, in, on an off day, and there was nobody there to catch him. So his wife caught him in the bullpen at a major league stadium. He threw to his wife, which is just amazing. Did he throw hard? He apparently threw hard. I mean, wow. he may not have thrown 92, but his wife caught him. I think that's one reason why he once gave her a cow as a birthday present. That's the kind of life that they live on the farm. He gave his wife a cow as a present. <laughs> Who doesn't want a cow? Like, seriously. <laughs> Who doesn't want a cow? Buster Olney's been giving presents like that for years. Uh, on a 1 to 10 scale, the future from Madison Bumgarner as an effective starter in the majors. Um, 10 being the highest, one being the lowest, I'm sorry. I think I can only go to about a three here being an effective starter for reviving it. Tony, once you lose that velocity, once you lose that bite, it's hard, hard to get it back. You know, Clayton Kershaw got it back. He was 96 and now he's 91 and he won his 200th game the other day and he's still really good, but it is the very rare pitcher who loses the life on the ball and still finds a way to either get it back or get you out without the same life on the ball. I just, at this point, don't see that happening for Bumgarner. Okay, the A's going to Las Vegas. Will Bond was bemoaning this yesterday, going to Las Vegas. I tried to point out, for every city that loses a team, there's a city that welcomes a team. This is how the Giants and the Dodgers got in baseball. This is how the Arizona Cardinals and Indianapolis Colts 
got football. This is how the Colorado Avalanche and the Dallas Stars got hockey. And, and this is how the Detroit Pistons uh, and the Atlanta Hawks got basketball. This is the, the, the course of life, right, Tim? Yeah, and this is obviously how Washington, D.C. got baseball back. Yes. That a, a, yes. A, a franchise was struggling, and that's what's happening here. As we know, Tony, that, it, that ballpark just doesn't work anymore. And this is not the fault of the Oakland A's fans or anyone else. It's an owner who is not putting out a product that is representative of Major League Baseball. I told you on PTI the other day, their ERA was two runs higher yeah. than any other team in the American League. They walked 17 That's batters amazing. in one game. That's amazing. Nine in the game since 1949. This can't happen and try to sustain something. So we'll see if this actually 100% goes through and goes to Vegas, but it is an untenable situation. They either need a new ballpark somewhere in the Oakland area, or they have to move. California right appears yeah, they're going to move first. California's not building ballparks. They're not building them for anybody. So they're not going to build them for the Oakland A's when there's one across the street in San Francisco. But what, what intrigued me, Tim, was they said they were going to build a stadium with a partially retractable roof. It's 130 degrees in Las Vegas for most of the baseball season. You better get a roof that shuts completely and opens the three days that you can be in the open air, right? Yeah, absolutely. I went. I did a minor league notebook for Sports Illustrated when I worked there in the late 90s. And I went to I went to Las Vegas in the middle of the summer and covered a baseball game, and it was it was about forty miles from the sun. That's what it felt like. That's how hot it was. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I think we need a retractable roof there. But look, I've been to Vegas. My son used to live there. That football stadium they built is unbelievable. It's like a spaceship. The hockey arena is great. So if they build a great ballpark there, that is going to seat 35,000, I think they will support that team, and that team deserves more support than it's getting now. And it's, again, they, the fans there are very passionate fans. There just aren't enough of them, in part because the team right now is really bad. On the other hand, Tim, in the last 11 years, they made the playoffs six different times. So I think you can make the case there's not enough fans. They're just not enough fans. That's all. Right. There aren't enough fans, but right now they took their best players because ownership wasn't willing to pay for their best. And they took Matt Chapman and Matt Olson and the rest of the team, and they let the manager go and said, all right, we're we're starting over. Well, it's hard to start over when you lose all of your best players. Fernando Tatis Jr., your expectations and your thoughts as to whether or not the Padres would consider moving on from him because he's trouble. Well, with the money they're paying him, it's going to be very difficult to move on from him. And it's my understanding, because I saw the Padres again this spring, that, as I told you, when he comes back, which is now, he's going to say and do all the right Mm -hmm. things because he cannot afford another misstep here. He has made enough mistakes where he can't say or do the wrong thing at any point. In other words, he wants to play shortstop. Yeah. But he's not. They have Xander Bogarts. He wants to play center field, but he can't. Trent Grisham is a two-time gold glove winner. 
So he's going to play right field, and he's going to like it, and I think he'll be fine, and I think he'll hit. I know he'll hit. He's a great young player. But if he doesn't, if he missteps again, uh, they, they can't trade him. He's, he's owed over $300 million. So the hope is he's going to get everyone going in that lineup, including Juan Soto. And by the way, Juan Soto the other day, Tony, had a – 70-game stretch. It's an even number. 70 games. He had 218 in a 70-game stretch to start his Padres career. And we're always told, I think incorrectly, that this is Ted Williams come back to life. (laughs) I looked up Ted Williams' worst 70-game stretch ever in his career, and he hit 240 during a 70, 240, not 218, right. during a 70 game stretch in 1959. He was 40 years old. So please, Ted Williams at age 25 is not hitting 218 for a 70 game stretch. It just shows you the type of pitching that Juan Soto sees today. Ted Williams never saw that pitching. But you, before you start comparing anyone to Ted Williams, you better pause to think about that. Let's go to Max Scherzer, the warrior god who is going to be suspended, apparently, for 10 games for goop on his hand. If I read this correctly, first of all, there's an interesting thing that it's one umpire who's tossed everybody who's been tossed. But if I read this correctly, Tim, Scherzer got chance after chance after chance that game. And, and then, you know, and then it didn't work. And yet he claims he's only using rosin. My problem with this, and I'll say this and then shut up, is if rosin is a legal substance, but they say, but too much rosin isn't legal, the nuance in that, to me, is not defensible from a legal standpoint. All right, this is a very tricky situation, and it needs to be fixed, because you're right. We are told rosin is legal. Well, that's what we're told. But if you use too much rosin, it's illegal. What does that mean? If you use, what does that mean? Yeah. This, means, this needs to be clarified. What is too much rosin? And are you only allowed to use rosin on the mound, meaning you can't come in after an inning, mix rosin with alcohol, and get the greatest sticky thing you need on your hand or on your glove? That's illegal also. So what's legal? What's illegal? This story has to this story we have to clarify the rules here because if rosin is legal then it should be legal but apparently it's not if you overuse it bottom line is they checked him three times and the third time he came out and he had rosin on his hand when they told him you got to get rid of that and he didn't so i think the suspension is following of the rules here and major league baseball is right to do this but they need to rewrite that rule so it's clearer than it is now does major league baseball want to pop a hall of famer of course not but tony as i told you the other day at the end of last year all sorts of pitchers we were told were using sticky stuff you remember when buck showalter during a playoff game challenged that joe musgrove of the padres had something sticky, and people screamed at Buck Walter. Well, that was just a reaction to what everyone had heard during the last few months of the season. So we knew there was going to be a crackdown on the sticky stuff with pitchers 
this year. Everybody knew it was coming, and now the tests are random. They're not just some gratuitous at the end of the first inning. You you, you put up your pe- palms. They're going to check you. And Max Scherzer, who's the mad scientist, and I mean that in the nicest way, he tried to circumvent the rules with rosin, hey, it's legal, and they said, no, you can't do that. So more pitchers have to understand that. What about the fact that there's only one umpire who's popping these people? Do you think that's designated by baseball? Do you think it's just coincidence? Do you think they'll eventually send him to AAA because he's killing the game? No. It's, it, this has been the tricky part is what, uh, how consistent are the umpires going to be? Are they all going to use the exact same rules? Are they all going to use the same discretion? The answer is no, because there are a bunch of umpires out there. So he's not going to the minor leagues. He actually got this right. But this reminds me of many, many years ago, Major League Baseball said, we're going to call box. We're going to really crack down. And Bob Davidson, good umpire, got the nickname Balking Bob Davidson because <laughs> he called a million blocks when others weren't. So that, that, that shouldn't happen. There should be a little bit more consistency from the umpires. But, of course, we put them in a very difficult spot to gauge the level of stickiness. Who can gauge it? Well, Dan Bellino is, is cracking down, and he's not putting up with it. Thank you, Tim. Thanks very much. We'll talk soon. Okay, Tony. See you. Tim Kirkson's wonderful. Totally wonderful. He went back to Ted Williams to a 70-game stretch. That's just great. We'll take a break. Greg Garcia will join us. We're going to talk about the potential writer's strike in California and also about his tickets to the Nats game. (laughs) More importantly, I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a song called Slow Going for Loopy, sent to us by Scott Parker, who performs under the name Midlife's Crisis. He has sent us other music. Yes. He produced this entirely in his home studio in Frederick, Maryland. So if you're on your way to Gaithersburg, I guess you should stop in. Not Gaithersburg, Gettysburg. Gettysburg, yeah. Gettysburg. That's how you got to go to get to Gettysburg. Well, Gettysburg is up in that, on the way, because it's north, right? No. Gaithersburg is like 10 minutes from here. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Michael, if people like Scott Parker want to send in their original music and listen to it, being played back at the end of the show. How do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonykornizershow.com. If we're going up to Gettysburg, got to stop in for a schmuffin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sheets visit. Sheets, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I've gone to that Sheets a number of times. It's on the um, it's on the other side. It's on the west side of the road. Like, if you're driving north, it's on the other side of the road, right? Sheets. Uh, the one you're thinking of is, yes, I think there's more than one. Oh, there's more. That's the only one that, I've, that I go to. Greg Garcia joins us now, and... and before we get into the possibility or maybe the probability of a writer's strike, not very good tickets, just so you know. These are very good tickets. These are Alan's tickets, you know. I'm 
I'm blown away. You know, at Frostburg, there's a Michelin star sheets up there. Is that right? You can get a, yeah. The <laughs> test kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> sandwiches. Uh, yeah, Alan. Thank you to Alan. Good, goodness gracious. Uh, that was uh, ridiculous. I was not expecting that when I was sniffing around for tickets. First, I was not expecting for you to open the podcast. Just <laughs> publicly shaming me to look for free handouts but i'll take it and yeah. then when i got them uh wow so yeah very very excited about that good all right and i'm not even watching the season to see how the nats do it i assume they're in first place and i can't wait they, they never lose <laughs> they score 10 a game except against the oh. orioles where in 18 innings they had no runs they oh. had no runs except for that because dominic smith stinks four rbi on pace for 32 for the season not very good oh. Well, right, I'm going so food. Nigel told me about this, that there's the possibility, maybe even the probability of a writer's strike in Hollywood. I, I mean, you're in a what I consider probably a unique position. You're a writer, a producer and a director. There are three different guilds, if I'm not mistaken. Producers Guild, the Writers Guild, the Directors Guild of America in each case. Can you tell us what this is about? Because it's happened before. It has happened before, and and what effect it has on the viewing public as well as writers. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to to to, to go over with this, and and I'm not, you know, I first say I'm not the, the an expert on this things. You know, I, I know a lot about them, and I know people on the negotiating committee, and they tell me things, and they try to educate me, and so I'll tell you what I know. You know, yeah, this happened back in 2000. Seven, I guess, or 2008, and it was a, a, a kind of a lengthy one, five or six months. It's when I actually went and worked at Burger King. Yeah. That's when I, that's yeah. when I took that opportunity. I might be going back. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it's a real disruption. It's a real disruption to the industry, and it affects more people, obviously, than writers because it shuts things down because part of the writer's point is that without writers, you're not making any of this content. Um, studios have been... You know, they try to, uh, to to get some stuff banked so they have product to do. They'll end up doing more uh, reality shows and documentaries and stuff that they don't, you know, technically have to write. Um, but, yeah, everybody hopes it doesn't happen. It, this The contract comes up every uh, couple years. Uh, the last time, you know, was a couple years ago, and they averted a strike. And But they have to position themselves as though they are ready to strike, and they voted, and 98% of the... Writers Guild has voted that they will uh, that they will strike if they need to, and now they'll continue talks. But um, you know, everybody hopes it doesn't happen. Um, and you know, like everything, the answer to all your questions is money, right? Yeah. So, so this is why there's unions. So um, everybody wants their fair share of the pie for creating the work that the studios profit off of, and the studios, you know, as the Writers Guild points out, is making oodles and oodles of money and their profits the writers uh, is kind of stagnant or in cases going in the wrong direction so so go ahead yeah this is i mean television has changed so much in a very short amount of time in the old days and the old days are only 15 or 20 years ago in the old days there would be i don't know 20 episodes of a show per year maybe 27 maybe 30 um, and there were only a few places to get these shows. There were the major over-the-air networks, and there were some cable things. And now, there were, like your last show was six episodes, and there's yep. all this streaming stuff. I mean, I thought 
that streaming would create more shows and more opportunities for writing because, you know, it's not just over-the-air networks. But I, I guess that hasn't happened because you read about complaints from writers that they're making less money and there's less product out there. Yes, absolutely. Well, my, and my show was 10 episodes, but I'm glad you got through six. That's, that's <laughs> oh, I thought, okay, chat. I'm sorry. Um, but, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, that's a big part of the problem is how much the industry changes from, from year to year, right? So like some of the past uh, uh, contracts had to do with uh, DVD rights. And then because they weren't, they, they weren't paying for anything with DVDs because they didn't have to because it wasn't in the contract. And then all of a sudden it was streaming was a brand new thing. And they weren't paying residuals or anything for streaming because it wasn't in the contract. So as soon as the studios can, can not have to pay certain minimums to people and, and follow certain rules, they're not going to do it because they're in it to make money, right. show business, right? Right. So recently, what a problem has been is these orders are only for like six episodes, eight episodes, whatever. But then they still tie up the writers that they're contracted to these shows. And these shows will take a year and a half or so to get those out. And you're contracted to this show and you're not necessarily able to go work on other things. And so when you used to have 22 episodes and you could pay for your mortgage and all these things, you can't necessarily do that anymore. And also they try to make these really small rooms so there's less writers for, um, for, for an episode uh, of TV because it is a shorter order. So less writers are getting work. And it's interesting because a lot of this stuff isn't – it's not about me. I mean, these are about making minimums, you know, minimums for working writers and stuff. And, and so some of these rules actually impact me as a producer negatively. Um, if I want to do a show that I just want to write all the, the episodes so I can use money for music or something else because I don't necessarily need, like this show, the guest book I did, I, I just, I didn't have other writers. But some of the things that they're proposing is like a minimum amount of writers based on the budget of the show. Right. Um, but that's good for, you know, I'm in a position where that's good for the greater good of the guild. Um, there's a lot of people that do what I do that, you know, the last writer strike, I lost more money than I'll ever get back, you know, uh, from what they gained from it. But what they gained from it was stuff for the, you know, the rank and file of, of, of the union, the, the, the average writer and, and getting to their health fund and contrib- contributions for that and whatnot. Yeah. There is in, in this particular story in The Washington Post, there is a small part of it devoted to something that really ought to scare everyone in the world, and probably does if they pay attention, which is artificial intelligence. The notion that you don't need writers, that you can, I guess, I don't know how, I, Greg, I don't know how it works, although it would be a great actual show that you could write, how artificial intelligence is taking over everything, and at the end it yeah. just, you just fade to black because there's no, no more words. But yeah. this, this seems to me to be a legitimate scary deal if you can, I wrote for a living. If you can just feed a bunch of words randomly into a computer and generate a pretty good product that only a small percentage of people can tell the difference from something great and something good, that would scare the hell out of writers, right? Yeah, I mean, look, there's one way to look at this where it's like, you know, uh, the, the self-checkout line is taking out jobs from the cashier. I mean, this is not a writer's problem, right? Uh, uh, this is a problem for a, a lot of people, but as far yes, as... Yes, for writing, labor, for labor in yeah. general, yes. 
But as far as writers concerned, it is scary. Um, there's certainly a proposal concerning AI and their current demands. I don't know the specifics of that proposal, but, but they're trying to get a handle on it. It's a tough thing to try to regulate against. But the basic thing about AI software is it doesn't actually create anything. It generates just a regurgitation of what it's fed, right? Right. So it's been fed, if it's been fed both copyright protected and public domain content, it can't distinguish between the two. So plagiarism is a feature of the AI process. process. You know, you can, they can type in, write a TV show in the style of Greg Garcia about three roommates who moved to New York. And, it, you know, it will start to spit something out. And then somebody else could probably take that and then work on it. But they're taking, they're taking some of my intellectual property by doing that because it's searching the Internet, it's finding things, and it's trying to do that. I mean, you could just type in whatever you want. You could type in, write a 333-page uh, book about sports, politics, and the American presidency, and it's going to spit out some, you know, piece of, piece of garbage. Yeah, so Liz is happy to hear that, I'm sure. <laughs> I kid. Yeah, I kid. but no, I but, but you're, what you're saying is is it's it's right on point. It's going to take because it doesn't create. It's going to take what is fed to it and rearrange it in some way. And actually, it seems possible to me, Greg, to come up with something pretty good that it's yeah, stealing I mean, from but, someone else. Though that's the problem. I I have a friend who uh, who uses it. All the time. He is not a writer. He's an actor. And, and he's not using it to, like, take jobs away from actors. But he'll be like, you know, write me a segment, uh, a, a funny story about blank for a, for a, for a, a Tonight Show appearance, you know. Or uh, he performing a wedding. You write, you know, like, uh, I'm yeah. performing. You just describe the bride and the groom and whatever. And, it, and it, it'll spit something out. And it's not, it, it's, it's bad, but it's. It's not that much worse than some things you see on TV. <laughs> right. so I don't know. I don't know. You know. So you have to. You have to protect them against that. But they have to make laws about this AI stuff. They have to make some laws about these deep fake videos they can make. You know. They have to. The government needs to do something here. There needs to be videos. They need to be watermarked with something that says this is AI. Because the bigger problem than somebody writing bad sitcoms with a with a robot is that there's going to be videos that appear completely true and real of politicians doing and saying things, and that's just going to you know, steal the minds of America. You talk about rigging an election. That's how you're going to rig an election, is you're going to steal votes before they come out of a person's head. Again, you know, this, is, this needs to be addressed. The Internet, the worst thing that ever happened to the world. Yeah. The yeah. worst. There's no question about that. All right, go back to sleep. We'll see you when you come to town for the Cubs and the Nats. I'm looking forward to it. Greg Garcia, boys and girls, we will take a break. We'll have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. That's Eric DeLong and the Slappy Boys. Just it's love that. Just <laughs> such a great name for a band, the Slappy Boys. Uh, you want to do the Bethesda Bagels here, please? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. All right, before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, and even though this is from the album that we usually close the show for the year on, <laughs> we song. don't actually do that. It's not that song. In the middle of the night, I go walk into my sleep from the mountains of faith to the river so deep. I must be looking for something, something sacred I lost, but the river is wide and it's too hard to cross. That's The River of Dreams by Billy Joel, which is the last song on the last album I think he ever did. That's 25 I, years now. I think you're right, yes. Uh, you know, then he started to write classical music That's and right. now he just sort of performs when he wants to. Thanks to our guests today, Tim Kirchin, Greg Garcia. Thanks to our sponsors, Grammarly, HelloFresh, and Sunday. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. To get the show through Apple, please leave us a review. From Charlie Burtz in Springfield, Virginia, and this is to Josh Harris. Six billion. Seriously, Josh, use the code. <laughs> uh, from Brett Hobbs in Linton, Indiana. Just about time for me to bid your show adieu for, for a few months. Ever since I've retired, I've filled my summers with a bucket list item. I signed up to work inside Yellowstone National Park. I will be employed in the grocery section of the Old Faithful General Store. I will have no cell service and very limited internet, so I will have to catch up with your fine podcast when my contract ends in August. I guess by that time you will have moved out from the tears you are shedding for Washington's baseball team to your feeling on the upcoming football season. So until then, I wish your group well, and I keep and please keep the show stinking for us littles. Uh, P.S. Uh, also, had, I recently had a blood vessel burst in my eye since I have good health insurance carrier, Blue Cross. I used their phone app to contact what they referred to as a teledoc. Ten dollars later, they assured me it was no big deal and would look bad for a little while until the blood gets absorbed, which is what happened to me. I think that's interesting that you go to work in Yellowstone. Yeah. That's interesting. I do. Yeah, that's... That From John wild. Edwards, not that John Edwards, in Lenoxville, Quebec. The college hockey world was abuzz this week with the news that your esteemed alma mater would be adding a men's hockey team. Knowing how big a hockey fan you are, I look forward to visiting the Dr. Anthony M. Kornheiser, it's not M, Hofwaff <laughs> Arena to watch the Battle of the Colonials between Binghamton and Robert Morris. Um, then that's, you know, if we're going to go hockey D1, good. Yes. You know, I mean, we, we are in the climate zone yeah, You want to hockey. travel across the country like you do for baseball and golf. golf. That's right. And by the way, a lot of people, we are close enough to Canada that we can get some Canadian Students, and we get them. Yeah. The Anthony I. Kornheiser Hofwaff Arena, but thank you. The barn. From Ken Vastola in Del Mar, New York. 
where he says we need to drive Subarus. My son was also born on April 14th. Okay, more like 365.25, but still. I wrestled in high school. In my last match, I wrestled a guy who was my weight, but much shorter and more muscular. He pulled my arm out of the socket and I had to withdraw. Next year I go to college, I'm late to the first chem lab. The instructor says, that guy over there needs a partner. You guessed it, it was the same guy who dislocated <laughs> my shoulder. Turned out he was a really nice guy and we had fun in chem lab. Isn't that That's great? From Dave Schramm in Colchester, Vermont. Thanks for spending time talking with Buster only about his time at the Bagel Stop. My parents enjoyed it tremendously. And after playing it for them, I got to spend an hour listening to them talk about Buster. <laughs> cool. What a different experience Buster had working at the Bagel Stop compared to my time under the thumb of the greatest boss ever. Also, there was a company credit card. I'm thrilled to have had a role in creating a new verb to Buster, although Grammarly doesn't recognize it. Can you do something about that? Regardless, I was horrified to see Michael Buster on national television by He Who Shall Not Be Named. Michael, have you seen the movie, movie Throw Mama from a Train? Let's talk. <laughs> Dave Schramm, Colchester, Vermont, Chuck and Roxy episode in the can. No number yet. Probably top 20. From uh, Charles, from CJ in the land of Wilbon, which I assume is Chicago or the Midwest. Regarding Monday's mention of your Nats comeback win, for clarity's sake, a runner may not run out of a direct line to the plate in order to initiate contact with the catcher or any player covering the plate. It's the Buster Posey rule. A father, despite the lamentations of his eldest masculine child, may, at his discretion, lovingly adopt a brand new favorite son to supplant him. Butcher box grilling required, fresh dairy and or bagels optional. The Buster only rule. From Andrew Vogel in Spokane, Washington. Nothing makes for a better show opening than a one percenter saying we need to beg for tickets for another one percenter for a Thursday afternoon Nats game in mid-April. Truly a delight. From Lisa D. Greg was able to download the I bet the Chuck end. and Roxy have yes. tickets to the Nats on May 4th. It's actually Chuck's birthday. Tell Greg Garcia to have his agent contact them. Oh, wait. <laughs> From Tim Burninghausen in Missoula, Montana. Sorry, not sorry to burst Professor Ecosystem's bubble, but I-90 does not touch the northern border of Yellowstone Park. It does follow the course of the Yellowstone River from Billings to Livingston, Montana, but Livingston is as close to I-90 as I-90 gets to the park. From Livingston to get to the park, you still have to traverse another 50 miles heading south and following Route 89 along the Yellowstone River through a whole lot of nothing known as Paradise Valley. Some of my favorite emails are directions across the country (laughs) when you wonder does anybody is anybody going there in the next i don't know 12 years and they can remember this show show adjacent (laughs) from our friend hampton nager we haven't heard from a while in dallas we love hampton so we are reduced to grading interstates by the number of ecosystems they go through i mean i like trees fine but if you're driving an interstate and spend your time looking out the side window to marvel at loblolly pines instead of watching your mirrors as yet another suv barrels down on you like a jurassic park t-rex then you're doing it wrong (laughs) my advice is to pay more attention to the interior ecosystems while on interstates it's more important to know how many roaches are on the inside of the popeyes at chesapeake house than the outside but i do concede that (laughs) i-95 contains three ecosystems City, not city, and south of the border. <laughs> just, it's just, he's brilliant. And yes, we miss him. We do. From John Donnelly in Enfield, New Hampshire. Yes, Walmart greeter is not the ideal volunteer job for our favorite curmudgeon. With a nod to the Vegas vacation movie, perhaps Hoover Dam greeter would be more appropriate. I'm your damn greeter, Tony. No one wander off the damn tour. Take all the damn pictures you want. And at the end, you can get your damn souvenir at the damn gift shop. Enjoy your damn day. Thanks so much. You guys are the best. From Patrick 
in Chicago. Your Captain Geach in the Shrimp Shack Shooters reference is terribly dated. I prefer the line from the 2000 masterpiece High Fidelity. That's John Cusack movie. John Cusack, Jack Black, yes. We're no longer called Sonic Death Monkey. We're on the verge of becoming Kathleen Turner Overdrive. But just for tonight, (laughs) we are Barry Jive and his Uptown Five. And that is a good line. That is a good line. Joe Pearson in Indianapolis. Cracks me up every time you relate how you missed a golf playoff because you had to take Chessie for a walk. You know, there's a button on your, on your remote that can pause live TV, right? It looks like this, and then he shows what the button looks like. Just press that bad boy before you put on the leash. Then press it again when you get back in. It's like time has stopped. And if you need help, ask Michael. From Justin Johnson. Arlington, Virginia, a club member since 2011. This is the club, I guess. Mm. Were you aware that saying get down the brass tax is tax, not tax? I was not. Yes, of course I was. Yeah. Brass, tax. brass tax. You use them to fasten things on, like in a carpet. Exactly. Yes. There is debate on the origin, but the general consensus is that the phrase comes from the tax made of brass that would hold upholstery in place on furniture. Without this important little piece of furniture, everything would fall apart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's not T-A-X. It's just like, it's not some girls, they do get woolly. <laughs> it's not that. It's weary. It's not woolly. From Brendan Quinn in Spokane, Washington, during Wilbon's usual segment on the Monday pod, he briefly touched on the infamous 2002 Western Conference Finals between the Kings and the Lakers. Wilbon mentioned the familiar name of Tim Donaghy as a potential reason as to why the Kings got cheated in that series. This is not surprising, as Donaghy has been the NBA scapegoat for years now. However, Tim Donaghy ne- never actually refed any game of that series. Somebody called Wilbon. Furthermore, Donaghy has been on the record saying that Dick Pavetta, who was a ref in that series, was the company man responsible for guiding that series to seven games. I'm not normally one to indulge in silly conspiracy theories, but I'll admit that the NBA fixing games through their referee is one guilty pleasure. I know you have no interest in any podcast besides your own, but it's worth mentioning Tim Livingston has a wonderful podcast called Whistleblower, chronicling the entire Tim Donaghy saga. Love the podcast and PTI and eat it. Edith Saliza. And from Kate Milan. Listening to Pablo describe the chaos that is the White House Easter egg roll brought back lovely memories of the two my family attended back in the Clinton years. Things were much looser then, as apparently was not a crisis, when my husband lost our older daughter, now a little Chuck and Roxy number 71, while I stood in an eternal line with our younger daughter waiting to have a balloon animal made. I had no idea our kid was lost until I heard Maureen McCormick, yes, that Maureen McCormick, announce her name from the stage looking for our parents. My husband showed up, got the kid, and that was that. Kate Milan. Chuck and Roxy, number 61, top 20. <laughs> top 20. Got on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Come on now. Cool that out. means everybody just cool out. <laughs> Will you cool out, everybody? Thanks, Mick. <laughs> There's a voice that says this train is leaving It doesn't wait for any man And it don't cost a dime but believe it The prince of darkness takes whatever he can Shadows creep where the light is not certain Hunger grows where the soul wears a disguise Autumn dies and winter drops down the curtain 
a town with dirt for streets Her kids don't have enough to eat She really wants a better life She wants some shoes for the feet So she scrimped and saved and scored And now she's riding in a Ford With 20 others just like her Oh yeah, looking for the big reward They'll drive all night, they'll kill the lights, they'll be afraid, but now it looks like it's slow going for Lupe. Then came time for them to cross, they were hoping they were lost, it was 
was cold in the desert night Breathing in the truck exhaust They drove all night They killed the lights They were afraid But now it looks like Slow going for new day They thought that they'd arrive And maybe they might just survive The man he stopped the truck and said Everybody out, run from my lights Run for your life Slow going for Lupe. Slow going for Lupe. 